right here. Thank you. Um, again, my name is Russ, and I actually have where's, I actually have to get my Bible, which I don't have with me. I was so busy getting these, and I don't know. It's either back there or back here. Hello, I'm Russ, and I'm usually much better than this. But if I'm going to read out of the Bible, I guess I need to find it. Give me one second. Yes, I need all of that. Thank you. Um, if you've ever been to Soma before, you know that this is okay. We do this a lot. If you haven't, welcome. We're so glad that you are here this morning. Um, I, uh, we, our kids just left for our children's ministry, and this, this week I was thinking about um, our children's ministry. I am so proud of the work that we have great leaders who do a lot of work with our kids, and it's always something new. Last week we had the celebration of cultures that um, the city did, and we had kids from our children's ministry come and sing, and they sang in English and Spanish, and it was so much fun, and I was just so proud of all the work that a lot of you guys do and our church does with the kids here. Um, but as they leave, I was in one of the children's rooms during the week, and it was um, kind of messy because that's what happens when you have kids. Because a lot of times our children's ministry will do things like they'll do some sort of craft. So they'll draw something or color something or they'll make something. Uh, every week when my kids come out of children's ministry, I have three of them. They'll come and they'll show me something they made while they were uh, in children's ministry that morning. And that happens at my house too. Um, we have this room that in our house that... The kids, we call it the art room, even though it's not really an art room, but kids draw and color. And, but what happens is, and this happens in our, in our children's ministry room, and this happens in uh, the rooms, all the rooms in my house. Um, but what happens a lot of times is that you have kids um, who draw and color. Sometimes things like my three-year-old, my three-year-old did this, which is a piece of butcher paper that is, just has squiggles on it. Actually, I have a lot of pieces like this. But this is what happens when they get done. They just throw them down. Oh, here are a couple trees that one of my kids drew and squiggles. I'm going to guess that's the three-year-old who did that. And what happens is when they get done, a lot of times they're not neatly rolled up or anything like that. They'll just pick them up and throw them down on the ground. And so here's another piece of paper that gets thrown on the ground. I actually picked that up from our house this week. Here's a peek of uh, black construction paper that apparently they wanted to do something with but never did. Um, here are some worksheets that came out of our children's ministry room. They weren't on the floor, but sometimes they get scattered around like this too. And, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you that sometimes our kids play with scissors just for the heck of it. So sometimes they take this and throw it on the ground too. So what happens is... What is this? It's a mess, right? They make a mess. Now, um, if you have been around kids or have kids of your own, you know that kids, when they're young, they make messes. And a lot of times it's because they're drawing something or coloring something. And when they get done, they don't think about what to do with what they're done with. They just throw it down on the ground and they leave it. And they just assume that this magic fairy comes and picks it up 
for them to destroy again, right? This is, this is what kids do. They make a mess. And here's the thing about, at least in my own life, here's the thing about the messes that sometimes people make in my own house, is that sometimes the mess is so messy that I look at it and I'm overwhelmed. And I get overwhelmed by the mess that I just don't do anything. And I let the mess define the room for a little while. So instead of cleaning up the mess, I'll look at it and I'll just go, let's shut that door and pretend that it doesn't exist for a little while. Because it's so overwhelming. And there are messes that we encounter, even if you don't have kids, there, there's probably a room like that in your house no matter what phase of life you're in. But even if there's not a room like this in your house, there's probably a room like this in your life where there's a mess and you don't want to talk about it and you want to pretend it's not there and you're so overwhelmed by it that you don't really know what to do with it. And so we're starting this series, we're calling it I'm Fine. And the reason we're calling it I'm Fine is because we know that we have a tendency to talk to people in everyday life and they'll ask us how we're doing and we will say, I'm fine. And, and when we say I'm fine, sometimes we mean it, but a lot of times we don't. Because there are messes all over our floors. And there are messes all over our lives, and we don't know how to deal with it. And we're overwhelmed by it, and so we just want to quit. But when people ask us, we say, I'm fine. And we're talking mainly about emotional and spiritual health. And we're, we're a church, right? So most of the time we talk about spiritual things on Sunday mornings when we gather together. And every time we gather together, we talk about spiritual things. And that's important. And, and we believe that above all, we are called to gather together and celebrate what God has done. But we know that it's hard for us to do that sometimes if we don't deal with some of the emotional baggage that we're going through. The, the emotional mess that we deal with sometimes has a profound impact on our own spiritual lives. And if we don't deal with the emotional stuff then a lot of times it's going to be hard for us to figure out how to move forward spiritually and all these other areas of our life. Um, we have a tendency sometimes to, to separate the spiritual from every other area of our life, but that's not the way it works. The spiritual invades every other area of our life, and that includes our own emotional health. So for the next month, we're going to talk about things like anxiety and depression and addiction and unhealthy relationships and bad habits. And we're going to talk about these things because they are emotional things that we deal with. But if we don't deal with them, then we're never going to be able to experience the life God has for us. And oftentimes in church, when we talk about emotional issues uh, or things like depression and anxiety, I don't know if, if you grew up this way, but I grew up where if I was depressed, it was because I wasn't praying hard enough. Or if someone I knew had an addiction, it's because they weren't doing well in their spiritual life, and if they would trust God a little more, then God would heal that. And we're at a place in the world now where we know that's not entirely the case. But these things do have an impact on each other. You can't just pray away anxiety, depression, and addiction but they are, there's also a spiritual element to those things, and we ha we're trying to figure out the balance between these two. Because the bottom line is, we all have messes that are on our floors and in our lives, and we've got to figure out a way to deal with them. And we do serve a God who can help us clean those things up. 
And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 7. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back. You can uh, borrow it, keep it if you want to. Um, uh, but that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to read um, a little in Romans 7, and then we're going to read in Romans 8 as well. And this is, um, other than like stories I've read in the Bible, this is one of my favorite uh, passages in, in all of the Bible. And it uh, starts in verse 15, Romans 7, 15, and we're going to read till the end of the chapter. So we're going to read about 10 verses. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Now, there's a lot of words that are repeated in these ten verses. But who can relate to this? Like, I can. I have friends who are not Christians, and part of the reason they say they're not Christians is because they say the Bible doesn't really apply to them. And while I understand that there are sections of the Bible that are hard to understand, like, when I read this about how I want to do good, but I don't do what is good, and I don't want to do what is evil, but I do it anyway, and I know what's right, and sometimes I do the wrong thing, just because I, this conflict that Paul, the writer here, explains is a tension that I think that we all live in. He says, he's, this book Romans is a, is a letter to a church. Um, it's also a very detailed description of what Jesus did for us. And so he takes the first kind of seven chapters to unpack that a little bit, why Jesus died, how Jesus came. And then he talks about this nature that we have. I see what the right thing to do is, but I do the wrong thing anyway. I see what the wrong thing to do is, and I know it's bad for me, but I, but I do it anyway. I want to do what's right, and I love the law, and I love what is right, but sometimes I, I, I don't even know why. I just, I just do something else. And he goes back and forth and, and saying, I know what's right. I just don't do it. I know what's right. I just don't do it. I know to stay away from what is wrong, but I, I don't do that. I, it's too tempting for me. And I think all of us in this room struggle with that in some way or another. Um, and if you, if you don't, then just come and stand here and talk to us every week because I really want to hear what you have to say. Because I think all of us deal with this tension of knowing what is right, but not doing it. 
of how to stay away from what is wrong, but not doing it. And Paul says this, he calls this sin. He says this is what sin is. It's this nature in us that keeps us doing wrong even though we know it's wrong. Is that it destroys us. And at the end he even says, what a miserable person I am. Uh, we see throughout the Bible that there's this close association between sin and shame. Sin and guilt. And you can even see it as you read. You can see the tension that Paul is dealing with. Is like, I wish I didn't do that. I have this guilt that I can't do what is right, and what is right, even though I know what the right thing is. And there have been great leaders of faith throughout history who have embodied this tension over and over. So there's this uh, guy who led this era in church history called the Reformation. His name is Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, um, at the time, he was disgusted with some of the things that were going on in the church. There were, there were priests who were allowing people in their church to do whatever they wanted to, and then as long as they would pay a fee to them, they were free of their sin and could, um, could just have a pass into heaven, basically. So they're basically charging money to get into heaven um, is what they were doing. And there were other things going on that he didn't like, and so he said, this is wrong. And it started this movement of um, the church that we're still a part of today. It was called the Reformation. I say that because here's a guy who kind of embodies this idea of what it means to live into what God wants us to live into, but he also said some really awful things about Jewish people toward the end of his life. In fact, he encouraged people to burn synagogues and uh, put Jews in jail on a regular basis. So we have this tension of this guy who is supposed to be a man of God, but he also has these things in his life that are really unpretty. Um, over the past few years, there have been some like high-profile pastors, people who I've read their books, and I've heard them speak, and have been really influential on churches all across the country, and they have been caught in a number of ways doing things that are very ungodly. Uh, multiple um, affairs, uh, embezzling from their churches, um, abuse of staff, like emotional and um, like mental abuse of staff, um, sexual harassment, all of these things are coming out. And every time I read one of those stories, there's just something inside of me that cringes and says, oh, this is so awful. And the, the reason why I cringe is not because I'm good and those people are bad, but because I, I, there's a recognition, at least in me, that yes, they've done despicable things, but there is that nature inside of all of us. Now, you may not be caught doing something like that, but I think we all kind of understand that there is this nature inside of us that does not want to do what is right. It wants what's bad. It wants what's wrong. It's, it wants what's rebellious. Like, even if you don't consider yourself a rebel, even if you consider yourself a rule follower, there is this thing inside of us that knows what's right and doesn't want to do it. So, um, 
I'm going to quote a, a line from the book It, a Stephen King book about a clown that murders kids in town in Maine. <laughs> I couldn't help it, though. There's, there's this, uh, the story is, um, if you're not familiar with it, it, it is about this force, this being that takes a lot of different forms, mostly in a clown, and it terrorizes kids in this neighborhood in Maine. And um, all these adults, when they grow up, they go back to try and get rid of it. But there's this line where one of the main characters is thinking about all the things he has done in his life. And I think it's so powerful because it says that uh, Bill is the guy's name. And it says, um, Bill thought that the evil that lies within him was greater than the evil that lies within it. And... um, I read that, and it's not a Christian book at all, but I'm thinking, that is powerful. That's what Paul is saying, is that the evil that lies within me is greater than I can sometimes uh, explain. And so we have this thing inside of us that we don't really know how to deal with. And Paul, toward the end of chapter 7, says, what a miserable person I am. And so we look at not only the, the, the capacity that we have for sin right now, but we look at the sin that we have in our past, and we let that define us as miserable people. We let that define us as garbage. With sin always comes guilt and shame. And so we look at all the things that we've done, the mess that we've made of our lives, and we call ourselves garbage in one way or another. I'm a miserable person because of what I've done. So as we're picking up the pieces of our life and we're thinking about the things that we've done, we can say, like, this is the first time I went to the bar and then I don't remember how I got home. And um, this is the second time I went to the bar and I don't remember when I got home. And these pieces, these are the number of times where I told my friend that I would be there for him when they were going through a hard time. And honestly, I had too much going on in my own life to even really pay attention to them. And these pieces, these are all the times I've lied to my spouse. And, um, yeah, there's just so much. There's so much a mess. These are all the times I've complained about being broke or too broke to give to people who really need it. But in reality, I just spend too much money eating out. I'm a garbage person. And so we, as we're picking up the pieces and as we think about all the things that are going on in our lives, we, we define ourselves by our trash. We des- define ourselves by this idea that we, we know what is right, but we don't do what is right. And we are miserable people. We are awful, terrible, awful people. And the thing about it is, is that we also have trash scattered in through our lives We also have other pieces of trash that not because of our own sin, but because of the sin that other people have done to us. So as we as we pick it up and we try to deal with it, we think about the the people in my life who were supposed to take care of me, but they abandoned me. We think about the time that I was abused. We think about all the other stuff that people have done to us. And 
It begins to define us. And so our whole life is filled with guilt and shame. And when we think about how we're supposed to act or how other people are supposed to treat us and they haven't done it, then what we do is we stop defining ourselves by anything but our own past sin, guilt and shame. In a couple weeks, when we talk about addiction, um, uh, Colby Cuevas, who's part of our family of churches, he's a recovery pastor, and he will talk to us a lot of, about the idea of recovery and addiction. But one of the things he says to me all the time is that like every addiction starts out with this deep, profound sense of guilt and shame that people have. They were made fun of when they were young. They didn't feel like they were up to it. They had done something bad, and they were just trying to cover it up more and more. And guilt and shame become to define us. Even Paul says, what a miserable person I am because I can't do what is right, even though I know what is right. And if we're not careful, then our whole life is defined by just, by just carrying our trash around. Here we are carrying our trash around, and it becomes heavy, and it becomes who we are. We are defined by our guilt and our shame. And here's the thing. If Romans ended with chapter 7, then that would be a heavy burden to carry. But it doesn't. I'm going to read two verses in chapter 8. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this. But now... There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So here we are carrying around our sin, our guilt, our shame, our baggage. And God says to us, these things don't define you anymore. This is not who you are. You can carry it around as long as you want to, but because of what Christ has done for us, he has set us free from it. We are not miserable people. We are not trash, and we are not defined by our guilt and shame. In fact, it says, think about how much time Paul spent talking about the power of the sin that lives within him. Over and over, he says, in one way or another, I want to do what's right, but I don't. That's a powerful force that he says exists within us. But he says in chapter 8 that the life-giving spirit of God is stronger than the, the life-taking spirit of our guilt and shame and sin. The power of God is stronger than the power of sin in our own lives. And that's why we don't have to be defined by this anymore. There is no condemnation for any of us anymore because of what Christ has done for us. And so I look out across this room, and I look out across our city, and I look out across our community, and I, and I say, man, all of us are walking around trying to define ourselves by our sin, but God wants us to, to define ourselves by him. And that's the difference. And the beautiful thing about this is, is not only are we freed from our sin, um, but God does something really beautiful with it, is that it's not trash anymore. Um, it can be made into something new. Um, so I have, uh, I write in a journal on a regular basis, and um, I, 
I write pretty much everything in there. So if I'm just thinking about something, uh, I just scribble down different notes. Um, if I have a to-do list, every week I write my to-do list in my journal. If uh, I'm reading something that I particularly like and I find quotes, uh, reading passages from the Bible, I'll write them down. And that's what I do. So I carry it around, and I go through about three a year, depending on how much I'm writing, sometimes two. Um, but I just bought a new one because my old one is close to the end. It's falling apart. So I bought this one this week. And... Um, I found this one online, um, and it's unique. It's different. The ones I normally have are just, like, black. Um, but this one has, uh, the cover is made of cork, and the cork has been made out of old, like, wine corks. And so it's all, it's new, but nothing in the journal is new um, because the paper has been made from recycled paper as well. And so I have this journal that I'm going to plow through over the, the course of the rest of this year and probably into next year. And the beautiful thing about this is that this was made because people around the country had a decision to make. And they said, I have this trash and I can throw it away to where it will never be used again or I can use it for something else. And... Um, so now I have a journal, and I don't know anybody who recycled their paper who this, made, this got made out of, but the point is, is that this was made out of trash. Is that something practical and useful and in its own way glorious can be, can be made because people looked at trash and said it's more to it than just trash. And this is what God does when he looks at us. He, we are not miserable people. We are not defined by our sin. We are not defined by our guilt and our shame. And if we are going to kick whatever addiction that we have, or if we're going to kick whatever anxiety and depression that sometimes... Look, and I'm not just saying that there's just a spiritual answer for everything, because these things are very difficult for us to deal with. But, but the first thing we have to realize is that we are not worthless. We are not miserable people. And we are not defined by this, this idea that, and this nature inside of us that looks at what is wrong and can't stop doing it. We are more than that. We have been recycled. We have been repurposed. We have been changed because of what Christ has done for us. And this is something to celebrate is that God takes all our baggage, all our guilt, all our shame, and uh, he frees us from that. And I can't think of anything more comforting. And, it, and if you're sitting here today and you're putting on a, like a happy face and telling people you're fine, but you're really not fine, we hope this morning more than anything has encouraged you with this idea is that is that you are not garbage. You are not defined by your inability to get your act together. Because none of us have our act together no matter how much we pretend that we do. Um, that God defines you as his child and um, I, hope that, I hope that changes your life.
Yeah, that's it. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we 